The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. to another edition of To Homer and Back, the official podcast of streakingthelawn.com. It's been a long off season. I'm glad to be back. I'm Pierce, as always, and I've got Matt with me, as always. How's it going, Matt? It's going great, man. I'm glad we, we have some sports right around the corner again. Did you miss me? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Yeah, okay. And we don't have Caroline tonight, which is, is very, very tragic. She'll be back soon, but we do have a special guest rivals.com justin ferber how's it going justin it's going all right still um <laughs> excellent <laughs> how are you guys doing doing well glad you could join us to talk a little uh football maybe some other things it's an exciting time the off season most uva fans appreciate i think the optimism uh that we can pull together as a, a fan experience uh, we've got reasons to be optimistic i would say yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, football. You know, I think everybody kind of knows where the floor is right now. So, yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, it's only one way from there. So, <laughs> hopefully, things will turn around. Basketball. If it doesn't, basketball will be here before you know it. So, yeah, yeah, things Although, are happening. You know, basketball got some question marks, but I guess that's we'll have you on later down the road for for some basketball yeah. those discussion. Are, those are different kinds of question marks for sure, <laughs> and a much different floor, I think, for the program. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, how excited are you for the uh, upcoming football season? It's not far away. I mean, for like college football in general, I'm a I'm a ten. For UVA football, yeah. it's a strong four. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's about the number of wins we'll have. So oh yeah, yeah, that's right where Vegas has us. Um, but uh, let, let's talk about the incoming guys before we get into maybe looking at the season. Uh, this is, I guess, what you would call you know the first established class for Bronco. Obviously, brought in people last year, but this is really his you know year of recruiting at UVA under his belt and he's got an army of three stars. Uh, we've seen lots of uh, football teams do well recruiting armies of three stars every year. So certainly uh, nothing to be ashamed about. Maybe not the big names um, that we saw in previous years uh, under other coaches, but that'll come with wins, right? Uh, why don't we talk about maybe the, the stars of the, the incoming class, Justin, if you want to pick out a couple guys fans should be excited about for sure. Yeah, so you're talking about guys that are starting this fall? Just yeah, yeah, the incoming first year. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, I just wanted to make sure you weren't talking about the 2018 class. But um, so I think it just, with Bronco, like you kind of said, it's, it's a lot of guys that are three stars, decent players. Um, they are, you know, it seems like one of the differences you'll have from the previous staff to this staff is 
you know, the previous staff, they did have those guys that they were able to get um, at the top mm-hmm. of the recruiting rankings, the five-star guys like Quinn Landing and Andrew Brown and, and Smoke. Um, and that's great to have guys like that in the program that, you know, can be game-changing players. But mm-hmm. uh, I think most of the time, if you look around the country, and this applies to even schools that get top-end players like Alabama and Clemson, it's about the depth of the class you bring in, how much playable depth you have at different mm-hmm. positions. And then, you know, how, how much are you going to be able to develop those players once they get there? So even schools like Alabama, I mean, they'll have guys that are three-star players on their offensive line or, you know, in different positions around the, around the offensive defense. So I don't think it's necessarily something you can't do, especially in the ACC where there's a lot of parity, but um, I think for this season, guys that I would be looking out for are guys that are in positions where you know, there might not be as much depth or the depth might be better suited for the London teams. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, today I was looking at outside linebacker a little bit for a piece you were doing on edge rushers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple of guys there that could step in and play that were good, you know, productive high school players like uh, Zane Van Deer, which is a yep. great name um, yeah. <laughs> from Pittsburgh. So I think he could step right in and play Matt. I want to say it's GAM or GAM, G-A-H-M. Um, from Texas, he's another guy who's a really productive player at a high level in Texas. So I think those two guys can come right in and play. Nice. Um, hopefully, you don't see too many freshmen on the offensive line because usually that's a bad sign for you know how the veterans are doing, or you might have some injury problems. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, some guys will definitely. I think what'll ha- what'll definitely help this year is the amount of players they'll have that are ACC caliber players up front will help in practices, especially because last year they really lacked depth in practices. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of you know, walk on type guys playing significant snaps against the starting defense, which doesn't really help much. Right. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk the last couple of weeks about Lyndall Stone, uh, who's the three star quarterback from Woodbury Forest, probably one of the more talented kids in this class. Um, he's expected to be the backup quarterback at this point because of some attrition at the quarterback position. Um, so hopefully, uh, Kurt Banker can stay hurt so he doesn't have to take too big of a roll off the bat if he's not ready for that. But He's definitely got the skills. He's a pretty accurate passer. I know that he enrolled a little earlier than they were originally expecting. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's it's possible that you could see some 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 of him this year. He's definitely going to play at some point as long as he's healthy. Yeah. You um, got other it. than that, too. Yeah. I mean, you have to. Your backup quarterback's always going to play. Yeah. So. Um, and other than that, I think a couple other guys to watch: Sean Smith, who's kind of a dynamic playmaker at wide receiver. Uh-huh. Um, he's from Georgia. He was kind of a late add to the class. Was originally committed to South Carolina. Um, he's an he's an athlete who you might be able to. He's kind of a uh, comparable to Alamade. He is. I can't pronounce that name. It's been too long. <laughs> um, and I think he could definitely see the field right away if they can find a niche for him in the offense. And then also, there's a couple of running backs that enrolled early. Um, Jamari Peacock, who's a huge running back from Florida, who almost kind of figures to be a fullback, and he's kind of listed as such on the roster, but he could be like a short yardage guy. And then Lamont Atkins, who is a really productive player up in my neck of the woods, up in Northern Virginia at Lake Braddock High School. Um, They both enrolled in January and participated in spring practice, which is always good to kind of get your feet wet um, in the program. So I think those are the guys that could come right in and play. And then they have to find a kicker somewhere. So they got a pretty good kicker <laughs> in Brian Delaney from this class, who's actually also a punter. So Can't they I think he can see the, the field uh, early, but because they don't really have an answer there. So yeah. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, can't they just try the uh, soccer team again? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, or you can go get a player from Randolph making soccer team, which is you know <laughs> what they did last year. So yeah, exactly. yeah I mean, 
it's always uh, – I mean, I think if you go back and actually look at what happened in those games, um, I mean, they didn't always lose a game by a field goal, but the, not having a kicker kind of changed the strategy, I think, a lot. When they got sure. the ball into the red zone. Well, and then everybody remembers the game. debacle at Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there were some other times where, you know, they went forward on fourth down in the red zone where they might have just kicked a field goal if they had, you know, a reliable mm. kicker. So I think that kind of stuff adds up at the end of the day. Gotcha. Well, it's cool that you mentioned Sean Smith as somebody who, who could come in uh, like Oz, as we usually just call him around here. So he is. Um, yeah, I like ounces. That's pretty cool. Smoke. So, you know, they need they need playmakers. And uh, if a freshman's going to do it, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah. of, of guys who might play early, barring, you know, some end-of-the-world disaster for Ben Kurt, hopefully we don't see too much of Lindell Stone. But, Matt, I know Caroline's not here, so I don't want to get too pessimistic because we don't have our optimism beacon to uh, balance us out. But what what are you thinking if Ben Kurt, you know, comes up limping in game one against William and Mary and Lindell comes trotting out. What is, what's your mind going to be able to wrap around in that situation? Well, I, I think the big thing is if you remember when we did all these podcasts last year, I said that this year, Kurt Benker would win the Heisman. Right. So, you know, obviously when you go from a Heisman winning quarterback <laughs> to a, to a backup true freshman, it's going to be a big drop off. But um, I mean, I think the, you know, obviously starting a true freshman is never ideal deal if you have to get to that state um i think unlike some of the recruits that bronco had in 17 stone had some really good offers mm-hmm. looking back on his page i'm seeing you know maryland old miss ucla west virginia you know real schools where we're not beating out fordham for this hey. guy yeah um not there's anything wrong with that um <laughs> ideally kurt plays well kurt's able to to stay healthy and and everything's fine but i i think if lindell stone gets thrown in there you know, it, it probably recalibrates expectations. You're probably, for those fans who are hoping for a bowl, even I think if they, the most optimistic fan would say, if you've got a true freshman quarterback in there, this is more of a of a building year. Um, but but Justin, I, I know that Bronco came out and said, you know, that Lindell was probably going to be number two a couple of days ago after the, the Marvin Zanders thing fell through. Were you surprised at all that he named Lindell there um, when you had guys like, you know, Devontae Cross, who was also a, a three-star been the program for a little bit longer or, or did that sort of make sense to you based on what you've been seeing? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, obviously, you know, the Xander's thing, I think caught them off guard and his comments about that at the media kickoff thing at last week kind of, you know, showed that I think they were expecting him to be here. So mm-hmm. they had kind of put a succession plan in place, but it just didn't work out that way. And then I'm not really that surprised that Abramson, Sonny Abramson left football. I mean, he, he was battling an injury and it seemed like he was a little bit further down the peck mortar and he originally committed to a different staff. So that kind of stuff happened. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing with cross and stone is I would have assumed when Xanders wasn't coming, that they would have just moved cross back. Um, and I still think he'll get reps at quarterback in the, in the fall, just in case. I mean, you always have to have a backup plan for your backup plan. Of course. So, so I mean, I think he'll still get some reps there and you might even see him in games when Banker's healthy in some kind of like wildcat type package. Um, but the fact that they're willing to go with stone tells me two things. The first thing tells me that they're pretty optimistic about his abilities. And I guess whatever they've seen from him in the summer, they haven't had practices yet with him, but I mean, obviously they're pretty aware of what's going on with him since he's been in the program. And 
I know Banker said that he's been kind of following him around, which is good, but I always think it's interesting when they haven't practiced yet and they already kind of have a depth chart based on, you know, training and just, I guess, a general feel for a player's skill set. Um, but I think that, that it shows that. And then it also shows that they believe that Cross could be an actual weapon that they could utilize in the passing game as a receiver because if he was somebody who they didn't um, – like as an example, like a couple years ago after David Watford lost his job, they kind of tried to like use them at wide receiver randomly, but like <laughs> it was only on certain play. Yeah, I mean, people might not even remember that. Yeah, like yeah. they they would just throw them in there randomly. There was no real rhyme or reason to it. It was only certain plays. But yeah, I think if if Cross is actually going to stay at that position, then that means that they actually have a role for him in the offense. Because otherwise, that's not how Bronco looks at things. Like he wouldn't do that from a roster management standpoint. Like just throw away a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think that they feel like he can actually do some stuff. And I've never seen him work at wide receivers, so I think it'll be interesting. But he is a dynamic athlete. I mean, he ran for a lot of yards as a quarterback in high school. So I think that'll be interesting to see. And I know that some schools recruited him as a running back. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jermaine Crowell. I mean, that's a, a name very yeah. familiar to Who fans. Uh, and certainly he's, he's one of the more highly regarded guys uh, in this class. So you know, a legacy guy coming in, that's that's awesome to see. That's something we've missed on, I think, uh, over the last handful of years on recruits. Mm-hmm. Um, do you expect him to, to make an impact this year? I think it's well known that he's, he's going to play. Uh, but do you think yeah. he can be an impact guy? Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, you mentioned him and I was like, ah, I didn't have the roster in front of me. But, yeah, he's <laughs> a guy I definitely forgot. He enrolled early, and I know that uh, he played well in the spring, so I think they were happy with his development. He might be the pound for pound most talented player in the class. Um, um, I wouldn't have a problem saying that. He's probably the best player they they got. Um, and obviously, having a dad who played at UVA helps probably. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, it is interesting that I mean they've missed on guys like that in the past. And obviously, it's not like a one to one thing. If your dad played at the school, doesn't necessarily mean you will. Right, and course. so I mean, some of those are some of those they didn't have a shot really. Uh-huh. Um, but. But then, I mean, this this is a good gift for them, especially for the new staff to kind of impress him enough to, to get him here and get him here early, too. I mean, he enrolled early. He had a lot of good offers as well. So, yeah, um, I think he's a player that can play right away. And then with Kareem Gibson's departure from the program that was kind of announced last week or found out by you guys, actually, kudos, um, <laughs> when the roster came out. So I think that just gives him even more of a chance to come right in and play. He could be like a third cornerback in the nickel or maybe even a safety, but I think he's probably going to end up at cornerback. Awesome. Yeah. You know, his dad being a receiver, you sort of think like, well, obviously he's going to come up and be a receiver, but it's not the way it works. Yeah. Uh, And I I think he could have, I think he could have played there really. Um, I think they just feel he's more of a natural defensive back and, I know that a lot of schools that recruited him kind of recruited him to play one of the two sides of the ball and it was going to be TBD. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm not surprised that that's where he landed. Cause I think that they felt like, well, I know for a fact that Bronco and his staff really like big corners. Like if you look at the recruiting class that they have now, all the DBs are, are big guys. So I think that I, you know, Jermaine's size, I think he's six two. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think that that's something that they value for sure. Makes sense. And uh, why don't we do a, a few superlatives for that class before we uh, start talking about others? And, and I, you know, I'm sure you get the who's the most talented. We covered that already. Who's, who's going to be the best contributor right away? Um, let's go more with, like, high school superlatives. And, and who's, who's the class, sure. um, the class showboat? 
Oh man, that's a tough one. Who's, who's um, got like a, a, a out there personality? If you've been able. Yeah. So the guy that kind of comes to mind is Joey Blunt, who's another uh, legacy. Actually, oh um, yeah, yeah. His dad played at UVA a little bit longer ago than Jermaine's did, but mm-hmm. um, he's from Georgia and he kind of committed pretty early. And nowadays, it's a little different than even how recruiting was a few years ago, where now all the players will, you know, they'll have like a group text thread and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we, when we interview players to get stories from them, I mean, we hear about stuff like this or, or just Snapchat and stuff like that, the way that <laughs> that kind of stuff like connects the class and kind of keeps it together to a degree. So I know that he's one of the guys that was kind of a driving force recruiting other guys to the team. Um, I know that he was working awesome. hard to get Sean Smith and a couple other guys um, late in the, late in the cycle. So, I'd say he was he's probably like the biggest personality of the group. Good stuff. What about most likely to succeed? So maybe not right away, but like when all said and done. Okay. That's a good one. Power. I won't say Jermaine, I won't say Jermaine Crowell. I mean, he's a good, I think he's a good answer. Sure. Um, I really like, I, I'm really optimistic about Zane Zandier. Yeah. Um, I'm also, I also really like, uh, uh, who is it? I, oh, Lamont Atkins, uh, running yeah. back from Lake Braddock. I think I've seen him play in person. Um, he's got like a dynamic ability to, he can run over guys. He can run around guys. He can catch balls out of the backfield. I think down the road, um, he's going to prove to be one of the steals of his class. He eventually, or he originally was committed to Vanderbilt, um, and then flipped. So I think that they're going to be glad that they got that one. And then another, like, I'll give you a long shot. All right. Like, um, guy they landed late in the class from Connecticut. His name's Elliot Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just like look up pictures of him, you'll kind of, he's just a really big dude. He's just a good athlete. He's six, six, he's six, six, two twenty, like an edge rusher. Yeah. And he could have, he could be a wide receiver down the road if they wanted to do that. Um, kind of like, uh, I would say he kind of reminds me a little bit of like a bigger Eli Harold. I mean, obviously probably not as explosive. Um, but I think if they can teach him to, play well off the edge. Um, obviously he played against kind of not the greatest competition in Connecticut, but mm-hmm. um, I think that he's got the potential to be a guy that kind of comes out of nowhere in this class. And people are like, Oh wow, that was a great ad late in the late in the cycle. Awesome. So before we get into the, the actual meat of the schedule, one more recruiting question that 2017 class we've been talking about, obviously a lot of, like Pierce said, Broncos first real class, a lot of three stars, a lot of two stars in there as well. The 2018 class, I think most fans have probably been happy with the way that's come together. Around 15 commitments right now, almost all pretty solid three stars. Do you think Mm -hmm. that's just Bronco and the staff finding their footing and sort of making those connections a little bit more? Um, And are the three stars sort of the the caliber guys, they're really recruiting for their system and less focused on the the star aspect or to get in with those four and fives? Is it just a matter of you have to have more than one season where you only win two games? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of that. Um, I think that they are starting to get their footing a little bit with the relationships that they're building. And it's kind of a shame that Ruffin McNeil's gone because he was big in that. I mean, he wasn't as much in, he wasn't like the lead recruiter for a lot of guys. Um, Vic Stoto, who actually took his vacant position, is like probably the most dynamic recruiter on the staff at this point. I mean, mm. kids love talking about him. If you follow him on Twitter, yep, yep. you know, they like interacting <laughs> with him. So I think he's going to be a good addition from a recruiting standpoint. But I think that the class that they've put together is pretty impressive. I mean, it's better than I thought it would be at this point. 
if you had asked me before the cycle it began, just because gotcha. they've been able to identify some guys, some higher three mid three star guys with talent that kind of fit their system and what they want to do. And they're also recruiting guys from really good academic schools as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is good because, I mean, those types of, imp- you know, that sort of stuff impacts recruiting just as much as, you know, like the players themselves is, can you get into certain schools? Like last year they got into Woodbury forest mm-hmm. and uh, pulled three kids from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, that kind of stuff, I mean, they got a, they got a player from IMG or two players from IMG Academy this, this class. So, I mean, that's pretty much the biggest school there is right now right. Um, in recruiting. So anytime you can get to, it just helps develop relationships down the road. But again, I think Bronco is like Tony Bennett where like, if there's a five-star that fits his system, he's going to go after him. Uh, it's not, it's not like they don't want guys with stars, but also like he's got to fit what they want um, too. And obviously I don't think UVA is going to be pulling players like that for a while. It's going to take some time. Um they have a couple of players that they've developed good relationships with in the 2017 class, Jordan Williams, who ended up committing to Clemson signing with them mm-hmm. is I think the best player in Virginia or second best player in Virginia last year. So, um, I mean, they, they were close with him. I mean, they were in his final three schools or whatever it ended up being. So mm-hmm. I think it was just one of those things where when you see the records that they're putting up on the field, it's hard for guys to, to buy into that. But I think that it'll come with time if they can win. Um, but I still think you're going to see, even if they do win, you're not going to see crazy high recruiting ranks. Um, but what you will see is you'll see recruiting classes with depth. And uh, it seems to me like the guys that are committing to this staff are sticking with them in higher numbers. And, I mean, one thing that I noticed that was kind of remarkable was the 2017 class. Not a single player that signed didn't make it. I mean, no, yeah. nobody went to Fort Union. Um, everybody made it except for the two grad transfers. But that situation is a little bit different. I wouldn't put that as much on the staff. I mean, one one player didn't get into school and the other one gave up football. So, I mean, I think other than that, I mean, they're doing a good job of kind of like finding kids that are committed to playing in the scheme and uh, are willing to kind of, I mean, if you've ever seen them practice, it's, it's a lot more intense than other practices I've seen with other coaching staffs and other programs. Um, if If a player is willing to go see that, you know, in person and say like, Oh, sign me up for this, all this crazy running and stuff we have to do and earning Jersey numbers. I mean, those are the kind of kids that are going to be committed to the rebuild. So I think that that's what he's looking for right now. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, that attrition and I think you see a lot of the guys who transfer out, that's a normal thing when you, when you switch staffs and whether it's, Oh yeah, sure. I mean, that's just part of college football now. Yeah, Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, do you put, or how much do you put on just the work that the practices entail, or maybe just the whole responsibility in general uh, under this staff? It seems like fans want to be like, well, they just couldn't hack it in practice, I guess. Uh, It might be a little more to that, but but do you see it as as a simple, correct explanation? It's always a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, I mean, Sometimes fans don't realize like what's going on in a player's life too. I mean, I know I'm not saying anybody specifically from this class, but in previous years, even when Mike London was here, I mean, players leave, but it's not always about football. It's like, I didn't like the school. I didn't like, you know, I I broke up with my girlfriend and I got, you know, she went to the school, so I have to leave or like, you know, academic reasons, or I want to be closer to home. There's one player when Mike London was here that had a, had a child and he wanted to transfer closer to be with the child. So, I mean, like that kind of stuff just happened. So 
it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I think as much as, much as it, I don't even know if it's the practices as much as the schemes. Um, I mean, some guys yeah. just look around and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, they see the writing on the wall. They mm-hmm. kind of know what their role is. I mean, Bronco kind of made a point of bringing that up with Kareem Gibson that, you know, sometimes guys see what their role is going to be and then they decide that they need to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are other situations where, yeah, I mean, maybe they got there and were like, you know, this might just be a little bit too much for me um, or just maybe not a good fit for me. I know that they kind of had high hopes for Trey Harvidson, who was a running back from North Carolina. He enrolled yeah. early last year. Yeah. And he was here for spring practices. He looked pretty good. Um, but as soon as they were over, he, he was out of here. So he ended up at Northern Illinois. But I think that was just like, a, you know what, this is, this, you know, this marriage just isn't going to work. Um, it's always a little bit of, I mean, any coaching staff change, you're going to have stuff like that. And I think at this point, he feels comfortable and the staff feels comfortable with, all right, you know, we're, we're whittling some players off. And I mean, sometimes it's guys you don't want to lose, but we're finding out who wants to be here. That sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Shifting away a bit from the, the incoming freshmen to the, the rest of the roster. One of those, you know, five-star guys we talked about earlier when we were talking about smoke and Quinn, I feel like the, the forgotten one is always Andrew Brown. And part of that is just because right. of how, how good Quinn's been since he started and everything. Brown really seemed to have a, a much better year last year, the first year in Bronco system. He seemed more comfortable than he did in the, the previous couple of years under under Mike London. Do you think that that'll continue where he's living up to? I think he was the Gatorade player of the year his senior year in, yeah, in high school. You think it'll, it'll continue along that trajectory where he's really sort of living up to that five-star billing this year and he's able to break out or – or is he just sort of um, is what we saw last year, which was a good season? Is that what we should expect this year as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that the floor for him for this year, if he can stay healthy, is what he did last year, which is pretty productive. Um, I mean, I was looking at his numbers today actually for something I was writing, and he was more productive last year than I even realized. He had thirteen and a half tackles for loss and six sacks, and end um, in a three-four, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, he was second on the team in sacks and first in tackles for loss, so he kind of broke out and you can kind of see his flashes in individual games. I know the Yukon game, he played pretty well. And in that Louisville game, he played pretty well. Yep. So if he can be more consistent, I think that he'll be great. But I mean, you'll see the flashes of ability uh, when he was in high school, he was dominant, but it's different at the college level. And I mean, he's made, he's made it clear since the London staff left that, you know, him and Johnson Nuda did not you know, really see eye to eye. And he felt like Johnson Nuda was like, I don't want to say out to get him, but like just wasn't interested in developing him as a player mm-hmm. and it just wasn't a good fit for him. And he's met, I mean, he said that himself. So um, I think that this staff is where he probably, this is the scheme he probably should have been in the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been more of a three, four end to me than a four, three tackle. And I mean, you can kind of just see it the way he's lined up. He just looks the part. Um, and I know that like, I've, you know, I've seen him in the off season and he's just so much bigger now because they've just been, you know, putting these guys with their paces in the weight room. And I think he's going to be primed for a breakout season. I hope he can stay healthy. And I mean, he's going to be one of the guys that they're going to depend on, especially on the defensive line with kind of a vacancy at nose tackle right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that his role is going to be as big as it ever was. And like I said, I think if, if he can showcase himself again this year in this scheme and show that he's just a good fit for the scheme and maybe what they were doing with him before his freshman and sophomore year was kind of just not a good fit. I think he's got a pretty good shot at an NFL future. 
Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the upperclassmen and uh, maybe not the heralded five-star guys, but let's get some surprise players uh, for fans to expect this year to you know, make that jump to, to a, a solid contributor or a star player on, on either side of the ball. Um, who do you see emerging uh, who's on the roster? Yeah, sure. So one guy that comes to mind right off the bat is Malcolm Cook. Just because, mm-hmm. I mean, he was, I think last year was said to be his year. Um, he gelled well with this coaching staff. Uh, he has a ton of athletic ability. He could have played yeah. all over the field. I mean, he could have been a running back. He could have been a wide receiver. He could have been a safety. Um, and I think this, kind of like Drew, uh, I think this scheme is a better fit for him at outside linebacker than whatever he would have been doing in Tanu's defense, which uh-huh. would have been kind of this weird tweener hybrid linebacker role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a great fit on the edge and it's, you know, it's unfortunate what happened to him last year with the heart condition, but I mean, it's kind of crazy to think yeah. that he's able to kind of come back from that and hopefully he's good to go. I mean, it sounds like he's clear to play, so we should be seeing him this fall. And I'm sure he took a lot from, you know, he worked really closely with Bronco last year on the sideline, kind of mm-hmm. like sending in the signals and all that good stuff. And it was encouraging to see that he wasn't going to just like sit there and bulk, you know, on the mm-hmm. sideline. Cause that's easy to do when you're hurt. So I think he's primed for a breakout year. And I mean, honestly, like I said, I thought he could have had it last year. So um, him and let's see, I'll try to give you somebody on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I like, I like Joe Reed a lot. Um, He had a big spring and uh, he impacted the game a lot in special teams last year, just kick returning stuff like that. Um, He only had four catches, but I think this year he's primed for a bigger role. Uh, You can kind of use him all over the field in the slot or, out wide and he's got great speed and i remember talking to recruiting analysts when he's coming out of high school he's from kind of a smaller area in virginia charlotte courthouse which is like southern virginia um and i remember talking to some people mid-atlantic people and they were just like uva is going to be lucky to hold on to him uh because you know he he, they're lucky he's from like a smaller school and they kind of got him to commit early in the in the cycle so um, and they were lucky to hold on to him. So I think he's a good candidate for a breakout player. Nice. Talking about the staying on the offensive side of the ball for a second. I think one of the things that UVA struggled with the past few years is just the offensive line. And we've seen that as you, know, you can't get a running game going. Quarterbacks are getting hurt. Going into this year, how confident are you in, I guess, two parts. One, the starting five and how what abilities and how good you think they can be. And then two, you know, linemen get hurt throughout the season. It happens. If that happens, how confident are you in the depth that's behind them? Or is there one guy that they really can't afford to lose because there's just no one that can step in there and, and back that up? <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, I know I've been kind of positive so far, but <laughs> my confidence in the line is not that great right now. Um, I just remember last year, you know, we knew that there was a lot of depth issues last year going into the season. And you know, it was going to be a tough spot to, for the coaching staff to be in. Like I said earlier, they didn't even really have enough guys to kind of feel practice sometimes online. Um, but, you know, they, they were lucky that they went through the year without injury. But at the same time, I remember that Richmond game. It was like, all right, they're going to have to establish a ground game. And they ran for like 20 yards or something ridiculous. Um, like they just couldn't get going. And I think that they were fortunate to have smoke a player that you can use in a variety of different ways and kind of get them the ball outside of the backfield and move the pocket around. Um, But I mean, 
they bring back some guys that, you know, Jack English is a guy that I trust at left mm-hmm. tackle. Um, I think he's solid. Uh, McDonald, I think, can play. Um, I think he's decent. And then I think, honestly, a lot of this is going to come down to what they get from the two grad transfers. Yeah. Um, Brandon Pirtle, who's the tackle they got from Oklahoma State, I think you might be able to just pencil him in at one of the tackles, so it's probably right tackle. Um, he, he was a pretty – he was a player that was, you know, he played a lot at Oklahoma State, and I think he could come in and contribute. I know the staff really likes him. And then John Montellis, I guess he is how you pronounce that, Montellis, Montellis mm-hmm. from Notre Dame. He didn't really play much at Notre Dame. Um, he was a pretty big recruit coming out of high school, but just never really saw the field. But, you know, at a place like Notre Dame, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. Um, but if those two guys can come in and contribute and start, I think you might have a decent line. Um, but if they don't, at least you have some depth there with guys that have played college football before at a high level. Um, I think it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I think too many injuries, it can be pretty bad. Um, If they can stay healthy, I think with another year in the scheme, there's a chance that they could kind of figure out the strengths and weaknesses of the line and try to exploit that on the offensive side of the ball with the running game. Um, They have runners who are a little bit different last year. Than are this year than what they had last year from a skill set standpoint, more through the tackle type runners instead of uh, pass catching running backs like Smoke. So yeah. it'll be interesting, uh, and and obviously it's going to be one of those things where you know how the line plays could determine the whole season because as we talked about, that quarterback depth just isn't there right now. So they need to be protecting Kurt Pankert as much yeah. as they possibly can. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, and I think it'll end up being a huge part of what happens with the team this season as far as like wins and losses go. Good stuff. You mentioned smoke a few times in there and how versatile he was. And, you know, he was, I think the past two years, either our leading receiver or our second leading receiver overall, when he came to yards and catches with him gone, do you expect the offense to be more traditional with, you know, Jordan Ellis and Daniel Ham, who's been here for at least nine years <laughs> running the ball? Or, or do you see someone like Oz, maybe the, the coaching staff moving him into that, mix between a, a tailback and a guy who can slot out wide a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to Scott stadium as a kid watching Daniel ham. Um, <laughs> you know, that was awesome. Him and Thomas Jones in the same back. Here. That was a good time. Good time. Um, he actually played his first game in 2013. If you can believe that. Wow. Um, I was still there. That. He got, he, <laughs> right. Yeah. He got hurt and then he had the red shirt year. So he ended up it's like a sixth season or something crazy like that now. Um, yeah, that was, that was a long time ago, but yeah, I think they're going to be more traditional runners. Jordan Ellis, I think will end up emerging as the, as the lead dog in the backfield, just from what I've seen of him from practices. And obviously, you know, getting to pick his number first last year means that, you know, he does all the stuff off the field that they need to do. And I know that the coaching staff thinks that he can develop into a primary rushing option. And I think him will get a lot of carries as well. And then the the freshmen behind them, you know, that we'll see how that all plays out. But right. yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able, it's not like, Oh, we're just going to run the same offense again with, without smoke. You know, we'll just throw those passes to Jordan Ellis instead. Like that's not possible. So they're going to have to find a way to make up that production in other ways. I mean, he had 51 catches last year out of the backfield, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was second or not. It was first on the team. He had 52. Sorry. Uh, and then Zacchaeus had 51. So they were the two leaders in reception. So honestly, I think, and we said this last year, I think the, the, the offense is going to be predicated on trying to get uh, Zacchaeus the ball any way you can as often as possible. 
he was a little bit limited early in the season last year by hamstring. It looked like uh, I know he hurt it. I was actually there when he uh, kind of pulled it or whatever he did to it in, in summer uh, camp, like before the season started. So hopefully he's back healthy this year from a schematic standpoint. I think that, yeah, I think they'll have to move him in, in motion more and try to get him the ball on screen and maybe even line him up in the backfield and see what happens. I mean, he was originally going to be a running back when he came to school here. So I think that it's possible you'll see him in the backfield a little bit. Uh, I think he only had like one or two carries last year, like runs out of the backfield or, or reverses or whatever. So I don't know if they're going to try to mix that in. But the receivers too, I mean, that's the one thing I'll say about Smoke is his impact in the passing game was just so significant that the players who kind of need to step up more than anything are the wide receivers because he was just such a focus of the offense from a pass catching standpoint. Good stuff. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've hit on a couple reasons for maybe uh, pessimism, like especially in depth, so where something to go wrong. And, and obviously there's some uh, reasons for optimism, and we'll get to those. But one thing I do want to, I guess, maybe conclude with the reasons for pessimism is what really stuck out to me last year and what everyone knew was going to be a rebuilding year no one was expecting a ton of wins, though maybe after the Duke win, we were on the podcast talking about possible bowl games. But that Virginia Tech loss, and not just because it was Virginia Tech and not just because it was getting blown out by a good team or maybe great team, I, I just still can't shake the, the shit show that, that looked like what was going on all around and and obviously the big thing is alternating the quarterbacks and just I you know that's the hugest example but I still it's in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about reasons to pick you know six wins for this team or whatnot it's like nope remember that game and remember how the wheels just completely fall off in every possible way can you assuage some of that concern for me or am I justified in, in not forgetting it yeah, I didn't realize I could say shit show on this podcast, oh, yeah. but I guess since you said it, I can say it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good way to describe it. I was down there. I made the drive down there, and I was in the press box. And I was – obey all of us, we we couldn't believe it. Like, you yeah. know, everybody that covers the team, we were just, like, perplexed by it. Um, I remember watching – I mean, it was a nasty weather day, so I think the passing probably would have been limited regardless of who played. But um, – I just remember when the game started, Matt Johns had played the previous week against Georgia Tech. Um, he started the game, and I, they were pretty competitive in that game, but didn't score a lot of points. He threw a couple picks. Um, and I just remember thinking they should just go with Bankert and just mm-hmm. let, let the chips fall. He gives them the best chance to win. He can kind of spread the ball around a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, with the, it was kind of windy, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, Matt Johns' ball kind of hangs up in the air, so – yeah. I kind of saw disaster if he played a lot. Um, but then just watching them, like they were doing it on a per play basis. Like even in the London years, at least they would do it like series <laughs> by series where like, you know, yeah. you wouldn't see a guy play by play. And we were just kind of like perplexed by it. And, you know, of course, after the game, so one change from the, from the London era to the Mendenhall era is now with the Mendenhall era, we get to talk to Robert and I after the game. Right. Um, right which is different. It used to not be like that. We yeah. never got to talk to Bill Lazor, Steve Fairchild, yeah. um, which is probably good for them, um, <laughs> especially Fairchild. Right. Um, but, you know, he'll come, Robert and I is like really frank. Um, yeah. He's really honest and direct. 
And, you know, he was kind of grilled on it. And they were just like, well, that was the plan. And that's what we tried to do. We thought it would give us the best chance to win. But I didn't really understand <laughs> how that gave them a better chance right. to win because Matt Johns and Kurt Benkert aren't like, it's not like Michael Vick and Matt Child. You right. know, it's not like they have like totally different skill sets. So I didn't really get it. I didn't know if maybe, I thought maybe they were just trying to throw something at Virginia Tech to confuse them or something. And obviously, like, <laughs> and they all were the probably fans. over there laughing on their sideline because it yeah. was, you know, it seemed pretty easy for them to figure out. Um, and it's not, I, yeah, I just didn't understand it. And then you, Connor Brewer ended up in the mix somehow. And yep. he had like a fumble that was recovered for a touchdown. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I don't think anything would have, I don't think not rotating quarterbacks changed the result of the win loss you know, from a win-loss perspective, but it did not need to be as ugly as it was. Um, yeah. I thought that that was kind of just like uh, overthinking things a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that loss, I remember sitting up there in the press box and being like, this team has a long way to go, you know, <laughs> if they're going to compete with Tech or anybody. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I was as perplexed as you guys were watching that, and it was just a terrible, you know, it was over in the first quarter and you're just right. like sitting there. I'm sitting there in the press box. Like I have to sit here for another three hours and then drive home. Um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully we don't ever see that again, but it's funny because Bronco has made a point of being like, I don't like rotating quarterbacks. I like having one guy. So, I mean, I don't think it's something we'll see again. I can't imagine they watched the footage of that, the film and said, Oh yeah, let's, let's try that again. But <laughs> you know, I, but I, yeah, I mean that, that's the kind of thing that, like uh, when UVA lost down there in, I guess it was 2012, because Mike Lennon famously didn't call the timeout at the end of the game. Um, that's the kind of stuff that turns the fan base against. Um, I think fans can handle losing, and this is something that we've talked about on our podcast a few times. Fans can handle like, like the Louisville game. It's like, yep. you know, the players went out there and played their asses off yep. and came up short against the better team. But hey, we didn't look like idiots today. Yeah, you know. And, but, but it's the stuff like the gas in late games or the clock management yep. or the rotating quarterbacks that everybody's like, well, now we just feel like we were dumb. Yep. So I think they'll probably try to avoid that going forward. Hopefully yep. that game is more of a one-off and not like the standard going forward. <laughs> um, but it's just, that was kind of disheartening after a season where, it, you know, they played 11 games where they didn't always play well, but it did seem like the strategies were pretty decent and the players are playing hard. So Yeah. Well, I'll I'll let it go after I say it's that it's funny that you brought up the timeout game. Um, I mean, it's an obvious parallel to mismanagement, uh, especially against Virginia Tech. But that was the game where I totally wrote off London as who was going to be able to lead us in a successful way. Um, and I think that was before, and I'm not trying to be a hipster about it, but I remember getting pushback. Yeah. I mean, like, ah, you, you, pessimistic. You were on, you were on fire, Mike London, before it was cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, probably not the original one, but some, somewhere in the top ten percent. Well, that was, well, that was what was funny is that season didn't really go well. Um, yeah. They went four and eight after they went to the bowl game, but yep. I don't remember anybody being like, "Yeah, he needs to be fired." It was just kind of <laughs> like, "Well, we took a, we took a step back." And You've then been it was drinking with me, and everybody was like, "Whoa." <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and that then was after that, it's like everything you do is second guess from there. Yeah. I mean, like if you do something like the next time Bronco rotates quarterbacks, everybody's like, here we oh, go again. Gosh. But I don't think he's going to do that very much. 
Yeah, well, going but, forward, you know, the end of the UConn game had its own issues uh, with yeah. Bronco uh, or the offense. Yeah, it's, it's funny how sometimes it's like um, it's weird because like you'll sit in the press conferences with with him and he's not like Mike at all. Like from like he's he he seems to know everything that happened. Like he like he like he's looking at the box score. Um, sometimes you would ask Mike a question and it was like I think he would just get so into the games that sometimes you would have to like be like, well, do you remember like why you called the timeout before this happened? And he would be like, I did like, or, what, or he would just kind of like, or he would just give you kind of like a non-answer like, Oh, well, you know, that's what I thought was the best thing to do. Whereas like Bronco's yeah. like, well, this is what I was thinking in this situation. He's like very analytical. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes it's like, like this, that kind of stuff is going to annoy people if they keep losing because, and I don't, I don't think they're going to keep losing forever. I think this year will probably be kind of tough. And I think things will start to kind of turn the, the corner will start to turn. But um, I think that like the analytical aspect of things can kind of work against you when you lose. Yeah. Just because everybody's like, so at the end of that UConn game, he said like, they felt like they, they dealt with the clock to like a mastery level <laughs> <laughs> because they, because I mean, in a way, if you look at it, they kind of did where they had just enough time to get it off, worked. but it was like, but yeah, because they were like, if we scored, they wouldn't have had a chance to get the ball back down the field. Right. But I mean, it was like, yeah, but you, you don't have it. You have to take like the clock management is one aspect of what was going on. Right? right. Another aspect of what was going on is you don't have a kicker. Right. You have to like take both things and do them right. both. Like you have to have both at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like let's focus. You on can't just be like, well, in the end zone. Yeah. Like I mean, <laughs> if you had if you had Adam Vinatieri, then yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you don't really worry about your kicker. But honestly, when I was watching that game, I thought they should have just went for it. Yeah. Go for the win. Yeah. Well, but, I, I, I mean, don't be too... I, th- I think I mean, if winning kind of cures all ills. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see if they can kind of start winning on the field, and hopefully, those kind of things will minimize. But I mean, even I remember like the trick play against North Carolina. They ran like a fake field goal. Yeah. And they scored. And it was like that play, he was like, he seemed very happy that 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 play worked because it was like they they thought it was illegal. Like North Carolina (laughs) thought it was. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it was actually, this is the reason that it. So, I mean, they're thinking about things on like a deep level from like a strategy standpoint. Like they were kind of like coming up with plays that people didn't even know if you were allowed to run. But. But then they're also giving up like long touchdowns on sleeve flickers. So it's like this, <laughs> the scheme and the talent has to eventually like match or meet somewhere. Of course. Well, let's, let's add a little positivity um, to it and, and talk about some, maybe just a couple quick reasons to be uh, optimistic about the season. And, um, you know, Matt obviously has Kurt Benkert's Heisman campaign to run. Yeah. So, so that's probably option a is that he's healthy and if he stays healthy uh he could be a dynamic uh leader for the offense but uh what do you want to add to that maybe yeah i mean that's the one that kind of sticks out to me is that i mean he that uconn game that's where he got hurt that that scramble he had on the play before the field goal he never was right after that and um i know i mean i've played football before and like the injuries that you suffer, it just stays in your head. So even when you're not feeling it, you're thinking about it. You're like, I don't want to get hit. I mean, he said at the media kickoff last week that there were times where he was running out of bounds and he was like, I don't even care how many yards I get because I just need to not get hit here because it's going to mess me up. Right. So, I mean, when you think like that, it's hard to play quarterback and now he doesn't have the brace on and, and he also slimmed down a little bit. So I think he's going to be a little bit more mobile. 
Um, cause last year he tried to be mobile, but it was never really right for him. Yeah. I mean, the brace just, it just kind of bulky and, you know, you just don't feel right. Um, so I think he'll be a little bit more mobile and able to kind of move around and he might have to, if the offensive line is very good, but, uh, I think if he can stay healthy, he could be like a key, like if they were to make a leap to like five, six wins, I think he could be a reason for that. Um, I think, like I said before, the kicking game, I think there's a chance that they could get that straight. I mean, they definitely have more talent on the roster now. So I think one of those guys can emerge. Uh, I know that Andrew King, who was actually supposed to be the kicker last year, is now back on team too. So, gotcha. um, and I think the defense is going to take a little bit of a step forward if they can find a nose tackle. Um, I yeah. know right now, uh, Juwan Moye is probably the leader in the clubhouse for that. Um, He's, he's kind of a, he's bulked up a little bit. He was more of an end last year, but I expect him to kind of move into nose tackle and play there. And they have some freshmen that could eventually be the guy there, but they're probably a little bit too raw now. But right. the fact that they returned Kaiser and Blanding, um, in, uh, just another year in the system, another year understanding Broncos teams. And then you also get two guys that were going to be starters last year in uh, Tim Harris and Malcolm Cook, who didn't even play last year, really. So I think... I mean, that, I think the, the defense will take a little bit of a step forward. And it's just one more year in the schemes. And <laughs> the only other thing I'll say is the schedule's not that hard. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, they have winnable games. They're, they have winnable home games. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to go like eight and four or anything. But I think that <laughs> expecting them to take a step forward from a, you know, like a scheme perspective and just a competitiveness standpoint yeah. is, is, is a reasonable expectation. Whether or not that translates into, you know, six wins or something is probably too hard to say at this point. And obviously, if the worst happens to Kurt, then, you know, and you have a true freshman starting, then the season just becomes about, like, what can he do? And, yeah. you know, just trying to manage everything. Yeah. Well, why don't we jump into to closing off with a, a, a quick look at the schedule? I won't get you, you know, to to say six wins or fewer, but how about a game on the schedule that's uh, from both of you guys that they probably have a good chance of surprising uh, or pulling out an upset. And I'll start by saying sort of the opposite that I think people are writing off Indiana way too quickly in their, you know, orange and blue optimism, which is fine. And I get it. It's a home game and they're Indiana and, beat the crap out of them before and and narrowly beat them the other time but uh i think indiana is going to be really a lot tougher than people are giving credit for so that's that's my pessimistic natural outlook at the schedule but from you guys i want a positive optimistic uh potential surprise game uh surprise victory well, matt yeah, sure. you, or, or I, I can oh you yeah, get go ahead go ahead <laughs> oh man um I'll go with at Miami, and I, I don't know why, but I, I always just think of at the U for some reason, and Miami <laughs> doesn't scare me because I'm thinking back to, like, Randy Shannon coach yeah, Miami. Yeah, it's not in and the not Mark, I know, it's not in the Orange Bowl. It, it, they have a real coach now. Right. Um, I think I think Brad Kaya is still there also in his, like, ninth season. No, so not. I think he no, is. Yeah, he's gone. He's oh, thank gone. God. He's gone. Oh, thank God. I thought he was with Daniel Ham. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll go with I'll go with that Miami for whatever reason. Um, you know, just looking through, I, I want to do a surprise game, so I want to do a road one. Right. I don't think we're sneaking up on Louisville, and Boise State terrifies me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, Justin? Okay, so for me, I, I agree with you on Indiana. I think people don't realize, like, they're just thinking about what they were 10 years ago. I mean, they went to a bowl game last year. They beat Michigan They changed State. coaches, so – 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they change coaches, so that's always precarious, but yeah. I mean, and we'll get to see what they're made of right away. Cause they play Ohio state week one, but yep. um, I mean, the two games that you just have to win are UConn and William and Mary. UConn should be pretty terrible this yep. year. Um, and then William and Mary is not exact. They're not going to be what Richmond was last no. year. Like they're not going to be like an upper level FCS. Um, but I, I mean, if I was going to go with the surprise game from a, you know, as a win, uh, I'll go Georgia tech at home. All right. Um, Georgia Tech is just, I mean, I'm talking about from, from looking at it now. I mean, we could go yeah. into that week and Georgia Tech could be like, you know, four and seven or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they kind of yo-yo up and down. I mean, they have a good year, then they have a bad year. And and Bronco actually did really well against Georgia Tech when he was at BYU. Mm-hmm. And they played pr- they played them pretty well last year in Atlanta when they had nothing to play for, really, and Matt John started. Um, if you remember in that game, it was pretty low scoring, but – Yep. They gave up like two, I think it was like two big plays. And then they had like a pick six or something yep. um, at the very end of the game. So I think they lost that game, but they only lost it by like 12 or something. They were in the game um, yep. on the road. So I think in Charlottesville with Broncos history against them, I think that could be the one that they end up pulling the upset. In. Good stuff. Uh, I think either of those would, would qualify as surprises, but certainly doable surprises. And, you know, you got BCB, yeah. Duke at home. So, yeah, they could they could gather, you know, a handful of wins. Um, yeah. We'll just and I'm never to... picking them to beat Virginia Tech again until no, they do it. So. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I, I will never, ever do that. Uh, it, it might never happen again. I'm glad we're all on the same page there. <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much, uh, Justin, for joining us. We, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, sure. It was great. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll have you on again sometime soon, hopefully. And you guys who are listening can obviously catch uh, Justin's work at CavsCorner.com and uh, other podcasts as well and, and the Twitters and whatnot. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back soon to talk more football, maybe a little hoops, things like that. And looking forward to the seasons right around the corner. So for Matt and uh, the rest of the streaking line, I'll close up and just say go hoops. iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.